Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Quick note before we start here, TGI Fridays was once a wild place, so this podcast contains a little adult language and sexual content and a few references to potato skins. I was not what my father called a loose girl to go into the city and go to bars. <laughs> Ellen Lapman was 22 and living at home with her parents. When I said I even thought about getting an apartment and moving to the city, he said, if you move to the city, I will not make you a wedding because girls get very loose when they go into the big city. This was 1968. She was working as a teacher on Long Island. And friends called me and said, uh, let's go out. We're going to a bar in the city. And I was kind of prim and proper. And I said, I don't go to bars. I knew that people got together, gathered at bars and drank. But um, there was lots of talk about not getting picked up at a bar because you don't know what will happen if you get picked up. But her friends insisted. Come to the Upper East Side, they said. This place isn't like other bars. She walks in and is packed. It was an eye-opener for me. I had never been to that kind of loud, um, filled with people I knew from high school and college. Young people standing three, four deep from the bar. And then a big six-foot-tall guy walks over to Ellen and asks if she wants to go to a show. Why? I said, are you asking me out on a date? And he said, no. He said, you see that guy over there sitting in the corner? He needs a date. He had a date with a girl. She broke the date tonight, and he still has the tickets. So I said, well, what's wrong with him? Why doesn't he come over and ask me? That guy in the corner is Stan. His roommate promised him to find the perfect date to replace the one who stood him up. Ellen looks over, and Stan is cute, but he's not her type. Too drunk, for one thing. His friend says to him, this is the girl we've picked out for you. And he said to me, I can do better. And I said, really? Well, then go right ahead. I said, I had no interest in you anyway. He said that to your face? Yeah. Between you and me, I said, fuck you and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) This was that kind of place where women were making the call, where the playing field was a little more even, and where a woman like Ellen realized she could pick and choose. That place? TGI Fridays. This is not the Fridays I know today. This wasn't in a mall or an airport. There were no potato skins, no families with kids. 
This was the Upper East Side of Manhattan at a time when TGI Fridays was the hottest place to be young and single in New York. It was like the Tinder of the 1960s. I grew up thinking of TGI Fridays as like a place I went in the mall when we visited family in Jersey. <laughs> I had no idea that it had played a significant role in this moment on the precipice of the sexual revolution. You know, all the young singles wanted to go to Fridays. That was the hot spot. The police came along and stopped traffic on First Avenue, literally stopped traffic. You felt as a bartender that you were like a rock and roll star and you're going to be on stage. It was the social scene in Dallas. New York, Houston, Chicago, in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a phenomenon. Atlanta. Seattle. It was an amazing happening. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know and stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. I'm a business reporter, and I've been thinking for a while now about how much of our lives are lived through brands. They're where we work and shop, where we make things. They're where many difficult and important moments happen in our lives. Really, most of your life is navigated through brands. So on this show, we'll find the surprising tales behind America's biggest companies, and how they changed our lives for better or worse. Today, how did TGI Fridays, of all companies, change how we meet, date, and marry? A place where many tried their first pickup line, crowds formed around the block in many cities where they'd opened, and then what happened? How'd they go from that to what we know it as today? We'll trace it from the swinging 60s of New York City to a wild Dallas to the suburbs. Stay with us. So let's get back to Ellen at TGI Fridays on the Upper East Side. It's the late 60s. Well, the food in Fridays was great. Everybody either had hamburgers or this giant salad that came in a wooden bowl. I remember that. It was um, all people, I'd say, in their 20s, as they said, because it was so many people I knew from college and high school. Do you remember uh, any um, pickup lines from that era? I think at that time, people like came over pretty nicely. And I think what you started to talk about was, you know, hi, how are you? Uh, Where'd you go to school? What do you work at? That kind of thing. I found stories of the restaurant's early days a little hard to believe. And when Moira Weigel was researching dating, she couldn't believe the TGI Friday story either. I don't think of it as having a ton of character. Um, I think of it as a chain restaurant. Moira wrote a book called Labor of Love, The Invention of Dating. She and I are both in our mid-30s, and we had never experienced the early days of TGI Fridays. Isn't that kind of crazy for people of our generation and younger (laughs) to think about, like, how that's not that long ago, really? No, it really is. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is crazy, and it really isn't that long ago. I think that, you know, we all have—it's because we don't tend to think of dating or social life in terms of its history, you know, if you're a normal person. And, you know, we often forget how different things were not that long ago in historical time. So a lot of things changed in the 60s, and of course, TGI Fridays is one of them. But uh, if you could sort of bring us back to that moment, what are all the sort of social, cultural things that are happening all at once in that decade? 
things are changing dramatically in the 1960s. I think the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is FDA approval of the oral contraceptive pill, Enovid. In 1960, the rates of women taking oral contraceptives skyrockets across the 1960s. You have legal abortion on the horizon. Uh, so those, those factors make a big difference. So where did TGI Fridays come from? Who was this mastermind of this international franchise that attracted single women in droves, who capitalized on free love? His name? Alan Stillman. Well, I was out looking for girls. How was that going before Fridays? Fair. Not bad, but certainly at the time there was nothing uh, like that for people in their 20s just getting out of college. There was no place really for them to hang out. Before he started Fridays, Alan Stillman was 28. He was living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, selling the kinds of flavors that food and drug companies add to their products. It's called the essential oil business. I think the the best order I ever got was 38 drums of uh, strawberry flavor for Pfizer, to which they put into a cough medicine. And around this time, for guys like Alan Stillman, often the best place or the only place to meet someone to date was at a private cocktail party at someone's apartment. And they were almost always invite only. And you would get on the phone and you would call people and somebody would say, oh, I have this great party on 58th Street and 4th Avenue and I'm sure I can get you invited. And you ran from cocktail party to cocktail party to meet people. This wasn't working so great for Alan. During the summer, after work, he'd often go to the corner bar, which was tired and drab. There was a bullet hole in the window. And I said to the bartender, you know, you ought to redecorate this place. Put some sawdust on the floor, put some Tiffany lamps up, and where I got that, I have no idea. I was just throwing it around. And uh, I came back about two weeks later and said to the bartender, you really ought to do that. And he said, yeah, I guess it's a pretty good idea. The people in this neighborhood have changed a lot. Alan was frustrated. Every time, he'd walk into this bar, talk to the bartender about getting some young single people in there, and every time, the bartender was not into it. And then finally, one day, he says to Alan, why don't you do it? And I obviously said, what do you mean, why don't I do it? There's nothing here that I know about. That's not what I do. He said, there's not much. All you have to do is stand behind the bar and sell beer and lick it anywhere that walks in the door. I said, okay, and I walked out the door. But Alan Stillman had another motive. My business plan was to meet a lot of women. It's a hell of a business plan, I'll tell you that. The word singles ball was not invented, and I certainly didn't think that I was inventing anything like that whatsoever. I don't want to give him too much credit here. Stillman is the kind of guy who's both modest and proud. The truth is, he probably did create one of the first bars where it was socially acceptable for young, straight, single men and women to meet each other, which I have to say is kind of crazy that this didn't exist until 1965. But that wasn't some grand plan. I think it was more of an accident. And the stars were all aligning for him. Wait till you hear this. Here's Moira Weigel again. 1965 is the year that Helen Gurley Brown takes over Cosmo. Most young women have sexual yearnings and feelings, and they're doing something about it, and they're enjoying it. And I'm just saying, cut the guilt. It's okay. And she's just published this book, Sex and the Single Girl, in 1962. It sells millions of copies. Of course, Sex and the Single Girl, that titillating bestseller by Helen Gurley Brown. And the inspiration for a hilarious new motion picture. Mention sex 
And the single girl will blush. This idea of like the fun, fearless female and that it's sexy to be working, that women are in the cities working and also looking for dates. In fact, Helen Gurley Brown often addresses her readers calling them playgirls. There's this like playgirl ideal counterpart to the playboy. That's all very much in the air in 1965 in the moment that we're talking about so on the one hand, I guess like any successful business, you know, it hits the market at the right moment when the culture is ready for it. On the other hand, it is a big deal and it is very new to have this idea of a respectable place where single men and single women go out to meet strangers, but it is nonetheless seen as sort of wholesome and okay, you know, just, just adventurous enough, but not something to be associated with vice. And this is how Alan Stillman seller of flavors and scents, stumbled into the sexual revolution and changed the lives of people like Ellen Lapman. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. The whole sexual revolution, I think, changed a lot of things. You know, my parents, you save yourself until you get married. Virginity was very important to a lot of the people that I went with. And if you, when you lost your virginity, you, um, it was very it was very secretive. It wasn't like today. I mean, kids go on the pill right after high school before they go to college. So I think the sexual revolution had a lot to do with it. It's still hard to believe how different dating was back then. Before 1965, women generally didn't go to bars alone. It was almost unthinkable as a woman. Women were generally accompanied or chaperoned. It's hard to remember now, but it, even as late as the 60s, for a woman to go to a bar uh, by herself to meet a man. In some contexts, it's thought to be sort of scandalous. In the early part of the history of dating was seen as grounds of, you know, suspicion for vice charges. Women are arrested. They're thought to be doing kind of sex work often if they're out in bars on their own. In the 60s, you have these protests that are organized by members of the National Organization of Women to be allowed to go to bars that ban women. I don't know if it's stigma or scandal or what, but it's definitely not accepted by everyone. And I think it's funny. I have an aunt and uncle who met in a bar, and I remember my parents talk about, you know, that was fine, but being a little bit like, who's this guy from this bar that you met? There were even bars back then that were men only until those protests and then a 1970 court ruling that finally forced them to admit women. Moira says the mid-60s had a Cosmo magazine-style feminism, where some women enjoyed new freedom, but also fashioned themselves as fun, sexy objects. And in few places was that more apparent than in the sky. Airlines like Braniff actually advertised the sex appeal of their flight attendants, all of whom were women, and for the most part required to be unmarried. This is an actual ad from that same year, 1965. On the screen is a flight attendant pretty much stripping. When a Braniff International hostess meets you on the airplane, she'll be dressed like this. After dinner on those long flights, she'll slip into something a little more comfortable. The airstrip is brought to you by Braniff International. And this is another reason for TGI Friday's success. It turns out many of those flight attendants were living near Allen on the Upper East Side. It was easy to get to the airport from there. There was actually was a building there called Stew Zoo. The building was filled up mostly with stewardesses and pilots. And instead of a uh, three-bedroom apartment having a family in it, you would have six or eight stewardesses or pilots that would rotate because 
the rent would be cheaper and they were away half the time. It was obvious to Alan that this particular spot on the Upper East Side was the perfect location for his singles bar. So he borrowed a few grand from his mother, hired some guys to paint the outside blue with red stripes, and then just before he opened in March of 1965, when he was still considering the name for the bar, Stillman went skiing with some friends. And I fell in a snowbank, and I turned to my friends that were there and climbed out of the snowbank and said, thank God it's Friday, we got two days to recover. And one of the guys was there and said, that's a terrific name for your new bar. And I said, you know something, it is. And that's really where the name came from. But in fact, it was a college expression. People at that time in college, and I believe even today, literally say TGIF, great, we got two days off. And when it opened, it seemed like this huge hormonal release for the city. It became more similar to what a mosh pit is. It was so crowded and so that you didn't have to walk up to anybody to get a name or to get a telephone number. You bumped into them. Fridays was mobbed when it opened. Within a year, imitators sprung up on the block. Cops had to close the street on the weekend because so many young singles were going back and forth. Newsweek in 1966 wrote that people called the area the Body Exchange. Two years later, New York Magazine called it the Fertile Crescent. Friday's new competitors found their niches. The jocks went to Mr. Laughs up the street. An older set went to the Tony or Maxwell's Plum. At one point, Alan found 50 singles waiting outside Friday's. It's fair to say he was loving this life. No, I wasn't interested in getting married. Who would want to get married? Uh, the owner bartender in a place like that, single, was exactly where you should be when you were 28. Soon, Stillman created a small empire. He opened places called Thursdays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and even a short-lived ice cream place called Sundays, of course. But the center of single life was Fridays in that strip of Manhattan on 63rd and 1st Avenue. After all those stories in magazines, people started to come into Fridays asking to open their own location. Like one guy who wanted to open one in Memphis. With all of my intellectualism at the time, I said, what's a franchise? So you can imagine the amount of business sense that went into this if that was my attitude. That eventually turned into uh, a partnership with uh, two young men who had zero to do with the bar business. They were just they like were, you, just like me. Coming up, we're off to Dallas, where things got even more wild. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. I don't know about you, but I had just assumed TGI Friday started in anywhere USA, maybe in a mall someplace. I did not expect that it was a hot place in New York City, which raises the question, how did it turn into a huge national brand? Well, the answer to that question takes us to Texas. Now, the bar scene in Texas then is nothing like it is today. In Texas, you couldn't order a mixed drink until the 70s. Before that, you had to to get a brown bag and put your liquor in the brown bag and take that brown bag to the restaurant and they'd sell you mixers. This is Jim West. He was a kid in Dallas washing dishes at a Holiday Inn when the Fridays opened nearby in 1972. He wasn't even old enough to drink. Well, I was a 17-year-old kid growing up in West Texas, and uh, TGI Fridays changed my life. Do you have a sense of what dating life was like in uh, Dallas before 1972? Before that, it was, uh, I can't say cloak and dagger, but it wasn't, uh, you know, men were being more of the aggressors uh, than the women. You know, men had a certain role they played, and women had a certain role they played. Um, But Fridays changed all that pretty much overnight. (laughs) So our question is, how did TGI Fridays, that chain that now seems like some kind of suburban creation engineered to find new uses for potato skins, how did that place help change how Americans date? Let's zoom out. The whole country was starting to catch up with the sexual revolution. In Boston, an activist named Bill Baird was giving a lecture where he gave a college student condoms and some other contraceptives. But his illustration of how to use contraceptive devices got him thrown in jail, and the battle to win reproductive freedom through the courts kicked into high gear. It was 1967. Three U.S. Supreme Court cases came out of Massachusetts that bear my name. Then the Supreme Court gave unmarried women across the country the right to possess birth control. So by the early 70s, the rest of America was ready for a place like Friday's. When he turned 19, Jim West became a bartender at the new Friday's in Dallas. And it was just like uh, the universe just shifted. A lot of brand of stewardesses were there. So the place was just packed with these gorgeous women. And they had a new attitude. And the new attitude was they could ask out. They didn't have to just be asked out. You could almost feel the sexual tension in the air. And uh, it's quite exciting, actually. What would you have done in 1972 behind the bar? Other than get phone numbers? <laughs> The Dallas Fridays was Alan Stillman's creation on steroids. This was Texas-sized. It had two levels, and you could look down and watch the action at the bar. And that bar was actually kind of a new thing. It was a big rectangle in the middle of the restaurant, not just along one side. So you could sit all around it, and that's where all the action was on a typical Friday night. I wore a special shirt on Friday night, and that was my stud shirt. You know, I had a pretty good physique, and I wanted to make sure the women could see the pecs, and uh, I was going to be on stage, because you felt as a bartender that you were like a rock and roll star, and you're going to be on stage. You know, I was handed panties on more than one occasion with a note. One of the earliest customers at the Dallas Fridays was a woman named Mikey Baker. Anybody who was anybody in town was over there at Fridays. Later, she actually became an employee at the corporation. It was her job to pick all the music that played in the restaurants. And she says in the mid-70s, on a typical Friday night, it was the place to be. And you were looking for a date. You were looking for a guy, or they were looking for a gal to, you know, hook up. You pretty well could go out and have a different 
date as often as you want if you understand what I'm saying. And my line was, it was nice dancing with you. And that got me a few guys that followed me around the bar. (laughs) But they had all sorts of bad lines the guys did. The football players would hang out. You know, the Cowboys would hang out there. Billy Bob Harris. Hello, Dan. My name is Billy Bob Harris. I'm in Dallas. Billy Bob Harris, high-rolling stockbroker and famous Dallas bachelor. Good-looking and drove a flashy Corvette. You know, he was always showing up and have a babe on each arm and things like that. I remember I went up to one girl, and I said, let me ask you something. If you were me and I wanted to meet you, how would you go about it? She kind of smiled, and she said, well, so far, you're doing pretty good on your own. Let's just see how you do. Go ahead. Um, It was that type of atmosphere, a friendly type of atmosphere. You get the picture. It could be a wild place. It was both totally liberating and also running pretty high on testosterone. The guy running the chain back then was a man named Dan Scoggin, and he remembers those unchaste nights. A young lady would disappear down below the level of the bar, and the young man's eyes would roll back after a while. Back then, in the early 70s, Dan was reaping the benefits of Fridays himself. I um, became quite the ladies' man because I had this pickup line that was just, you know, foolproof. I'd be standing at the bar on Fridays and say, hi, darling, I own this place. (laughs) (laughs) And that always went over well? Uh, It seemed to work. It (laughs) seemed to work. If Alan Stillman is the guy who invented the singles bar at the right place at the right time in New York, Dan is the guy who took it national just as the country was ready. And like Alan, he wasn't a restaurateur. He had no experience in hospitality. I was Mr. High-Polished Wingtips and Freshly Pressed Suit. And, you know, I was, I was the typical corporate, young corporate executive right out of typecasting. Here's the backstory. Dan had been a company man at a place called Boise Cascade. He worked his way up to run half the country's container manufacturing and sales for Boise. And one day, he was sitting with a colleague at the TGI Fridays that had opened in Memphis when he realized he wanted to become an entrepreneur. I said, you know, if we don't do something one of these days, we're going to be old men before we realize our dream. I said, even if it's something stupid like this, and I pointed Hmm. to the restaurant and if you don't mind me asking, were you single back then? Uh, I didn't know it, but I was about to become single. He got divorced, quit his job, and changed his look. I went from a Learjet to a Volkswagen bus and went from a Brooks Brothers suit to uh, bell-bottom trousers and, surprisingly, a beard. The business details here aren't that important. Basically, Dan started out licensing franchises from Allen and quickly ended up merging the franchises into one company, TGI Fridays, Inc., Dan as first CEO. And he drove that VW bus across the country on his way to open that Dallas location, picking up a lot of the touches and tchotchkes that define the TGI Fridays look. I found a um, a carousel chicken. I had a chandelier that had come out of some opera house that I put up on the raised level. By now you know what happened. When he opened the Dallas location in 1972, the place was mobbed. Then Houston, Atlanta, Indianapolis. It was a real chain. Before long, Jim West was no longer just a bartender. He was a regional manager. And in each city, he says, it was like the singles in town had pent-up desire. 
We felt like uh, the circus had come to town in many respects because it was a big fanfare. In fact, as we went to more cities, it was uh, the crowds were huge. And I think people couldn't wait to unleash these passions. So what happened to those passions? How did we end up with the TGI Fridays of today? That's what I want to look at next. Stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. It's 2018, well past the days of scandalous air travel, and I can't remember the last time I saw someone in real life write their number on a napkin. So where is Fridays now? What happened over all the years since that initial explosion? Well, for starters, that original Fridays in Dallas closed years ago. Jim West left the company in the 1980s. When I met him recently in Dallas, he had given up that stud shirt from his bartending days. He was in a suburb called Plano. We opened in uh, April. Oh, very new. And outside we have a 25-foot screen for watching games. He'd opened a cavernous bar called Hub Street, which for some reason he spelled S-T-R-E-A-T. But like that original Fridays, there were two levels so you can look down and see what's happening. This has all the elements of a TGR Fridays because TGR Fridays was a social gathering place. How is it different than what you saw, you know, 35, 40 years ago? Uh, There's more texting going on. (laughs) Everything is through a cell phone, it seems like. Today, TGI Fridays is struggling. Most of its competitors are too, like Applebee's and Chili's. TGI Fridays is trying to find an identity that suits this era. Fridays, endless apps. You keep coming in for them, so we keep coming up with them. Alan Stillman, the guy who started all in New York, is in his 80s now. He's astonished that Fridays has maintained the red stripes of his original. And when he travels the world and sees a Fridays in a place like China, he marvels at what he's created. But it's not the same. It's become more of a family operation. And the people that it competes with are also family restaurants. Why do you think it lost its singles origin and became more of a family restaurant? You don't need a TGI Fridays bar scene to meet somebody, either male, female, or female, male, or for that matter, anybody to meet anybody. We're back to all the electronics that are around here. You just, it's just not a necessity, whereas at the time, although I didn't know it, we invented a necessity and we solved a problem that was really a big problem. He's right. TGI Fridays is no longer a necessity. Today, it's nothing special to find a bar where single women can choose a partner for the night. The explosion of dating apps helps, too. 
a bar is a kind of 3D Tinder if you want to do it in reverse. Moira Weigel, who has researched our dating lives, has thought a lot about how Fridays help change how we meet and mate. Tinder seems like it's a remediation or a kind of imitation of something like a bar, a college party where you're just panning around a room because... That's what the founder says. He says, you know, when uh, people criticize Tinder for not having any information, he says it's just like seeing somebody at a bar. Like, you don't have very much information to go on. Yeah, totally. And I remember they're... I think they launched in 2012, and they, like, threw this big frat-ish party in L.A. to launch, and they had, like, college students and their early members or something, but there was this entire branding of the app that was sort of drawing on the imaginary of the big college party, right? Like, it's like, where are you mm-hmm. going to meet... It's exactly what you're saying, that it's just like seeing people at a party. To Moira, TGI Fridays changed the way we date because it took meeting and mating out of homes and clubs. I feel like what it really is, is when the platform of courtship moves out of private space into market space. So, you know, if you think of like a Jane Austen novel, in the Jane Austen scenario, like you're sitting at home with your mom and your sister and Mr. Darcy comes and sees you and the platform belongs to your parents who have every incentive for you to pair up with Mr. Darcy so that you can inherit family wealth and, you know, transmit property and accomplish all those things that the institution of marriage accomplishes. So think about it. Incentives for romance and courtship changed. The sexual revolution helped women take charge of their fertility, and that gave businesses an incentive to earn a commission from all this courting. TGI Fridays was one of the first to capitalize on this, and that inspired thousands more brands, bars, and clubs since Fridays. But as time passed, the original Fridays template has been replaced with new, fresher spaces that do the same thing, with even more ease and even greater profit. Tinder's worth $3 billion. Yeah, it is sad. It's very sad. You know, like I say, I don't go there anymore, so. Friday's originals like Mikey Baker can't get over how outdated the chain feels now. Jim West visited one recently, and it didn't go well. It could have been anywhere. It could have been in any chain. And, um, you know, I love that brand, very prideful, that brand. And so it was just easier for me to just exit than to, you know, continue the experience. So you actually walked out? I walked out, yeah. Eventually, Fridays became more of a family place in the 80s. By 1990, Dan Scoggin, Mikey Baker, and Jim West had all left Fridays. Alan Stillman had left long before, going off to discover good wine and starting Smith and Walensky Steakhouses. And remember Ellen Lapman, who we met at the top of the show? I was also wondering if she'd been to a TGI Fridays recently. Just one time out on Long Island, and I hated it. <laughs> what was it like? It's like a, a very... Casual, low-rent hamburger joint for families. No longer is it for, well, I don't think for kids. I don't think they go to Fridays anymore. But Ellen did end up getting something more than a good burger and salad from Fridays. That charmer Stan, who she didn't have much patience for on that first night of Fridays. Between you and me, I said, fuck you, and walked away. Well, he managed to get her number via his wingman anyway. And Stan called me the next day and said, I'm so sorry. He said, I must have insulted you. I don't remember what I said, but I really do have these tickets and I really would like to take you out. And then he took her to a show. I think it was um, Carousel. The date went a lot better than when they met at Fridays. Three months later, we were engaged and nine months later, we were married. (laughs) That's that's the end of the story. (laughs) So so is the lesson here to insult someone on the first date? (laughs) He's never lived that down, but... As I said, he didn't really remember it, and he's really a nice, 
quiet, lovely guy, but he was inebriated. <laughs> We're coming on 50 years, so it 50 worked. 50 years. <laughs> and it's all because of Fridays. And it's all because of Fridays. Absolutely. So it's the end of my trip to Dallas where I was reporting this story. And I get to the airport, I go to my gate, and almost like fate, right in front of me, at the gate, is a TGI Fridays. I had to go in. And it looks like a Friday's. There are trinkets on the walls, there's a rectangular bar in the center. I sit down, I order an iced tea, I look around. Around the bar are travelers who look tired. A few of them are small talking. And then I start talking to the bartender. This will not come as a surprise at noon at the airport at a TGI Fridays in 2018, but I had to ask the bartender anyway. Does anyone go on dates here? Here, not quite so much, just because they can't just sneak off and leave because they have to catch a flight. But, I mean, constant exchanging numbers and we should be Facebook friends and you should follow me on this. Man, it's just, uh, you know, it's a different time. People want different things. Um, What worked back then doesn't necessarily work today. Nowadays, most of the younger people aren't really going to chains anymore. They're, you know, they want to, they like the food trucks and the uh, independent restaurants. So it's just a different day and age. Stick around for what's coming up in this premiere season of Household Name. To hear Household Name without ads and to get access to the first six episodes right now, sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash household name and use promo code household. This episode was produced and reported by me, Dan Bobkoff. My producers think I'm obsessed with potato skins. They are Anna Mazarakis, Claire Rawlinson, and Dan Richards, who actually found this story on a Tinder date at a bar. Our editor is Peter Clowney, mixing sound design and original theme music by Casey Holford and the Reverend John Delore. Chris Bannon, Laura Mayer, and Jenny Radelet are our executive producers at Stitcher. Special thanks to Claire Valdez, Peter Latman, Peter Hayden, Nick Carlson, Rich Kennedy, and our intern, Sarah Wyman. And we want to be a household name in the podcast world. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Coming up on Household Name, we're heading to the edge of the earth to find the last blockbuster video stores. My phone at home was just going berserk. Beep, beep, beep. I'm getting all these messages talking about Russell Crowe or John Oliver. Also, did Donald Trump save Pizza Hut or did Pizza Hut save Donald Trump? And I would all of a sudden start talking like Ivana and thinking to myself, now what would Ivana say if he said it's wrong? And I would probably say, it feels so right, Donald, but it feels so right. And you know Two Buck Chuck at Trader Joe's. Will the real Charles Shaw please stand up? I took one taste of that wine. It almost broke my heart. Stitcher.